All right. Well, welcome everybody to another episode of Mentally Unscripted, your number one podcast to find the signal in the sea, or in this case, universe of noise. Um, this is Paul. As always, I'm joined by Scott. How you doing, Scott? I'm doing great, Paul. How are you? Oh, you know, living the dream. Living Can't complain. Dream. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, back back uh, for another session of delivering people from ignorance, huh? Yeah, that's right. As best we can. Yeah. Try and make sure that the road doesn't go into the ditch. Right. <laughs> um, well, uh, well, guys, I, I think I think today is going to be a really interesting episode. Uh, Scott and I have talked a lot offline about different topics, and the one that we thought would be very relevant would be hypocrisy. Uh, if you're listening to this and you're someone who, um, you know, you, you can hate politics, but you're still following some of it. Uh, maybe, maybe it's not politics. Maybe you're following other topics. Uh, when you see hypocrisy, you just, it kind of makes you puzzled, um, you know, on one end or maybe angry on the other. Uh, I think, I think this will really resonate with you. And obviously in 2020, the levels of hypocrisy, um, have peached, have reached kind of peak levels <laughs> for, for some of us. Uh, you know, specifically, I think as we see measures around COVID, um, and, uh, you know, to, to be safe or, or to not be safe, you know, you, you've got different ways of, of, of looking at sort of the response. So we thought we would spend some time looking at some of the, the more notable instances of hypocrisy that have come out of late and, and just kind of talk about what we're seeing, why we're seeing it, uh, how it makes us feel, and just kind of go from there. Does that sound good to you, Scott? Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> Let's dive into this this lake of stupidity. Okay, um, so Scott, I know you've read some really crazy examples. I'm sure some, many of the audience members will know it, but but walk me through a couple of examples that you saw that just kind of blew your mind. Okay, well, the one that kind of got me going on this subject, really, um, or the idea to do a podcast on it, is I live here in Denver. Um, so recently, uh, we joined the ranks of the hypocritical politicians uh, just before Thanksgiving. Denver Mayor Michael Hancock uh, sent out a tweet, and I'll read it to you. It's, uh, I believe this was on the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. It was, pass the potatoes, not COVID. Stay home as much as you can, especially if you're sick. Host virtual gatherings instead of in-person dinners. Avoid travel if you can. Order your holiday meal from a local eatery. Shop online with a small business for Black Friday. Well, about a half hour after this tweet came out, he was spotted at the airport getting on an airplane to go visit his family for Thanksgiving. <laughs> so, Wow. Um, yeah. So, uh, Den- Denver, like I said, we have joined the ranks of the hypocritical politicians, and I couldn't be prouder. Um, so oh, to- yes. To Mayor Hancock's, uh, you know, to his credit, he did take responsibility for it. Um, he released a statement, and I just kind of want to read the whole thing. It's a, it's kind of long, but I think this kind of encapsulates a lot of the responses that we we get from these politicians when they get caught with this. So he yep. said, uh, I fully acknowledge that I have urged everyone to stay home and avoid unnecessary travel. I have shared how my family canceled our plans for our traditional multi-household Thanksgiving celebration. What I did not share, but should have, is that my wife and my daughter have been in Mississippi where my daughter recently took a job. As the holiday approached, I decided it would be safer for me to travel to see them than to have two family members travel back to Denver. 
I recognize that my decision has disappointed many who believe it would be it would have been better to spend Thanksgiving alone. As a public official whose conduct is rightly scrutinized for the message it sends it sends to others, I apologize to the residents of Denver who see my decision as conflicting with the guidance to stay at home for all but essential travel. I made my decision as a husband and father, and for those who are angry and disappointed, I humbly ask you to forgive decisions that are born of my heart and not my head. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> like I said, give him credit. He accepted responsibility for it. But when I read this, the first thing I think is, so it's okay for you to put your duties as a husband and father first, but for the rest of us little plebes, uh, don't you dare. Uh, sit at home. Don't go see your family. Um, and to me, you know, this is this is not a justification. This is not a lapse in judgment. I mean, this this is just flat out hypocrisy um, and a double standard. Um, I mean, Paul, had, hearing that statement and, and kind of seeing the the uh, the situation, what do you think? Yeah, no, I I think in today's environment of constant information constant noise you as a as a leader as an elected official have to assume you're you're being scrutinized that much more and it's not a question if it's right or wrong to have that level of scrutiny it's an acceptance of that fact so putting that right there um it it to me it seems um ignorant stupid and also hypocritical to to make this statement and then to walk it back as a, as a, uh, a personal flaw, right? A lot of times you're, you're going to hear the, the personal flaw, well, I'm just a human. Uh, you know, we all make mistakes. And, and actually, you know, I was thinking about this b- before we, we got on the, the call today, that there's, there's a heroism in our, in our mythology. We talk about the people that are willing to be, you know, lead the charge, so to speak, and be that person at the front. Um, that's that's willing to take the first arrow. That's our that's you know in some line of our minds that's our leadership. And you you imagine the if the opposite had happened if he had said everything in his first tweet stay home do all these orders and he did it with um, as as a, to to show my commitment to these ideals I will not be traveling to be with my family I will be having Thanksgiving alone and getting takeout from this place. And and you you hear that and you go wow. Someone who, you know, if I agree or disagree with the orders that they're putting in place, they're actually showing that they're gonna they're gonna abide by the same laws, and and that builds that trust level uh, in, in me that even if they even if I disagree with the actions, at least they believe that they're suitable. This this actually has the opposite effect. He's he's basically saying, well, you know, all these things are important for us to manage the virus, but it, as long as you've got a personal issue with it you know, and break it down. And, you know, just as a father, as a grandfather, as a brother, as a sister, if you've got a personal reason, well, then, you know, you're going to have to make your own choice, which to me goes against the intent of what he's trying to say in the first place. That's, uh, you know, uh, what does that sound like to you? Yeah, I think that's exactly it. Uh, One of the narratives that we've been hearing a lot during this COVID thing is not do all this stuff to protect yourself. It's that, you know, we're all these walking meat bags, uh, you know, for this virus, you know, and we're walking around just spewing it out everywhere and killing everyone who's within four aisles of us at the grocery store. So it's incumbent upon us to protect other people by staying home. Well, you know, here's this guy who, 
you know, went and got on an airplane. So, you know, he's putting the flight attendants, the ticket takers, uh, you know, the, the person running the cash register at the Hudson news where he bought his people magazine and his bottle of water from all at risk. Um, so he could go travel and visit with his family. And it's the right. Just the, the hypocrisy or it's just the double, double standard is pretty telling. Um, if it's so dangerous, and that you're urging everyone else to do all these things because they need to put other people's lives first, then you need to do the same thing, right? You need to be the example. Right. Um, and right. I, I, so I think you characterized it perfectly. Um, you know, uh, if you're going to make these decrees, right, you know, follow them yourself. It's pretty simple. And right. know, granted, this was a tweet and he's likely does not control his own social media account. Um, but, he should know what they're tweeting out, right? I'm, I'm yep. sure, like, some thought went into this because this tweet is accompanied by a nice little infographic and thing, right? So people, so someone right. put some time into this, and it's got the little, yeah. you know, city of Denver little logo on the bottom of it and everything, so it looks very official. Um, yeah, so she, absolutely. He should absolutely be aware of what's being tweeted out. Um, yeah, and and this kind of brings me to another example. Let me uh, just pull it up here. Here we go. Okay, so um, this is this is a post from the Dan Bongino show, um, mm-hmm. and, and I saw this in several places. Um, and I just want to quickly point out, like, just because um, articles that I'm reading here is like I'm not necessarily endorsing these websites or anything, um, but this is, seems like a pretty straightforward article without a lot of. Uh, opinion in it. Um, but anyway, so it's the article is titled LA Democrat ate outside a restaurant right after voting to ban outdoor dining. Um, so this <laughs> is, um, Los Angeles County supervisor, Sheila Kuehl. Okay. So she voted to ban outdoor dining in Los Angeles, um, in a three to two vote. Um, and then this was her justification for the vote. This is a serious health emergency and we must take it seriously. The servers are not protected from us, and they're not protected from their other tables that they're serving at that particular time, plus all the hours in which they're working. So <laughs> that's what she said. That was her reasoning for voting this. Um, then the article goes on to say that later that same night, she went to dinner at her favorite restaurant <laughs> where she sat <laughs> outside and and, wow. and had a nice meal. <laughs> yep. um, so... This is the response. Uh, this came from a spokesperson. So uh, she did dine at Alfresco at Il Forno. Um, at the very last day, it was permissible. Or on the very last day, it was permissible. She loves Il Forno, has been saddened to see it, like many, uh, like so many restaurants, suffer from a decline in revenue. She ate there, taking appropriate precautions, and sadly will not dine there again until our public health orders permit. Okay. So she's saying that we, we have to ban dining to protect the servers. Right. Um, but it was okay that I went there and ate and put the servers at risk because I took appropriate cautions, precautions. At least that's that's how I read that. Um, so yeah, that's exactly how I yeah. heard it. Word from from your words. Right. So um, you know, if it's okay for her to go do this while taking precautions, then why is it not okay for the rest of us to go out if we take similar precautions? Um, right. And, and you know, and the next thing is is like. Yeah, 
let's talk about liberty here, right? And your ability to make your own choices. These servers can decide if they want to work at this job or not. No one's forcing them to be there to wait these tables. Mm-hmm. Um, so right. if, if a server, if they're in a high-risk category, if they're, uh, if they're just afraid that they're going to get sick, uh, they, can, they can choose to do something else. And I get that it's, it may not be easy, right? They may have been, uh, they may have a career waiting tables, and so switching may not be easy for them. But you know that's part of the calculus of being alive, right? You have to kind of weigh all this. You have to weigh the pros and the cons of all of this. Um, so for this person to just decide that we need to protect these servers by banning outdoor dining. And then turning around and, and essentially saying, well, it's okay that I do it because I know how to do it right, um, to me, just, again, smacks of hypocrisy. Oh, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think it also, you know, I'm going to come back to the theme of trust here. Uh, there's, there's a problem in our society today, as I see it, that people feel as though they, they align to different camps, right? They'll say the blue camp, the red camp, maybe the conservative camp, the liberal camp. Um, and there's, there's a, obviously other types of teams or tribes that they're ascribing to. And uh, they'll, they'll end up asking themselves, and I heard this in a, in a conversation with Jonathan Hyde and I think Sam Harris several months ago, but you know, the question is, well, if I hear something, do I have to believe it? Not whether or not is, is it true, but do I have to believe it? Now, in their context, they were talking about in reference to uh, people that were denying the COVID. And this was going back to March or May or April. Uh, but I, I, I look at it now as a, um, you know, a, a lack of trust in our, in our public officials to do what is right by us, for us. There's, there's, there's this increasing gap between their, pers- their, their perspective on the trust that we have in them and, and, and what we actually have and believe. And so when you see an action taken this way, I mean, to your, to your point, it's not as if she said, listen, we're taking preventive actions because in a month's time, the, the, this, this virus will be so deadly that every restaurant will be killing people or infecting people. What she implied based on that communication was that today it's a health issue and that just being in a restaurant, open air service is enough to uh, create issues for us. And therefore, no one should be doing this. We have to shut all of these businesses down. And what I, I would like to ask her is, you seem to care a lot about the health of the people uh, physically. You know, you don't want them to get COVID. And I think we could all agree that's, that's, a, 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 that's, that's the expected norm. You don't seem to care as much about the livelihood of the server or the business owner um, or the other businesses that maybe go around that place, like the people that, that um, uh, do valet parking. Um, or, you know, in, in other cases, you, you have these, these clusters of businesses that come together. You've got the, the donut shop. Someone buys a donut, and then they buy a newspaper from across the way, and they have a morning routine. You, you don't seem to care about all of that traffic because it doesn't um, – that seems to be completely subordinated to this idea that we can, we can fix their health. As long as people are, are healthy, it's sufficient. Um, well – it's necessary. It's not sufficient. Um, you're, you're, you need more than that. And I, I, I think back to the trust. I, I read a, um, uh, a little tweet storm from Eric Weinstein uh, yesterday 
where he was complaining um, about the lack of, of planning by L.A., uh, specific to L.A., but I think it's probably applicable to many other parts of the country. Uh, it feels very reactionary. Right now, uh, we know that um, L.A. has gone into complete lockdown. And, you know, again, someone who's listening to this go, well, no, you're going to have to look at the specifics. You're right. There, there's some gradation there. They have different hazard zones. It's, it's um, you know, the way in which it's enforced is, um, is, is more specific. That's fair. I'll, I'll, I'll grant them that. However, in, in, you know, from what we're seeing with restaurants, uh, they're, they're shut down, even for outdoor dining, and they're suing. The Restaurant Association is suing uh, the city to say, give us information uh, that proves that we have to be shut down. So there's, they're, they're fighting back. Uh, and people are, um, you know, they're being told that they, they shouldn't be going to work unless they're essential workers. And, uh, and, and part of that uh, is based on the fact that they have low percentage left of ICU beds at about 13%. And the question that Eric asked, and I think all of us are asking is, you know, you people have been beating the drum now since March and April and May that this virus is extremely serious and we have to take every action possible to prevent it from decimating our population. Well, what have you been doing since that time to prepare for ICU beds? Now, it's possible you've been doing a lot of work. But, you know, in, I, I, I'll bring us back to it's March time. I was reading an article about the Army Corps of Engineers looking about how they could retrofit ho- uh, hotels in New York City to make them ICU compliant. And there's, there's a series of, of requirements. It's not just putting a, a bed and, and adding an IV bag. There's other activities that have to be taken. But why weren't those taken? Why, why weren't additional plans made so that you could deal with, with an increase? Um, Instead, it feels like it's entirely reactionary. And then when we have messages like this that say, well, we're going to have to shut everything down, but I, I want to make sure that I'm able to get it one last time. Again, you have that trust deficit and the hypocrisy builds. And, and there's longer term ramifications to the hypocrisy. It's not just a frustration today. It's the belief that when you come back, it's, it's like the, you know, crying wolf. The next time you tell me something that is true that actually needs to be taken, you... <laughs> You, you've already lost your credibility. I don't believe you the next time, and I should. I need to. If we're going to have elected leaders, they have to be trusted. That's, you know, that's kind of my rant. <laughs> no, I, I agree 100%. Um, you know, I have this love-hate relationship with politics. Uh, on the one hand, I mean, I just, I really hate it because I, I don't like that these people have so much power and influence over my life. Um in my perfect world, we would be sitting here going, "What's the name of the president again?" You know, when, right. when we were right. elected, I'm not—I don't remember. Wait, didn't that woman win a few years ago? What's what's going on with that? Nancy Pelosi, who's that? Is she, is she like a talk yeah. show host or something? You know. Mm-hmm. So, in in my version of the world, like that's that's what we'd be talking about, uh, but we're not. So. And kind of the stoic idea of the obstacle is the way, like, let's turn this obstacle into something positive. So I just, I really enjoy following the absurdity of politics. Um, and COVID <laughs> in 2020 has just given me um, just ample opportunity to do that. Uh, Absolutely. And one thing that is odd to me, and so Paul, we're, we're pretty close to the same age. So let me see if maybe you, what you think about this. When I was a kid, it seemed like the politicians in the media, they really tried to at least put 
give us the illusion of consistency um, where, uh, you know, they, they would try to make it sound like they were at least um, being consistent in their message and in the things that they say. Um, but nowadays with uh, the internet and the 24-7 news cycle, it almost seems like they're not even trying anymore. It, it, almost like, you know, they'll say X standing in front of a bunch of cameras and recorders um, and then three minutes later, they'll stand there in front of a different group of people and say, well, I never said X. And then to right. them, that's just an acceptable response and they go on about their lives. Right. Um, do you, right. I mean, do you get the sense where they just feel like they can just, they can get caught in these hypocritical situations and in these hypocrisies and just make it go away with the wave of their hand? Yeah, I, I think that's a accurate observation of what we're seeing. And, and you could probably call it the, the unscripted tax to take a rip off of the title of this yeah. podcast that, uh, because information is not gated in the same way through channels like Twitter and Facebook, Instagram, whatever, whatever media platform you're using, or even going directly to a website, you, you're, you're catching people off the cuff. You're, you're hearing, you're hearing background information. So they don't get to cultivate, um, a narrative in the same way as they, as they could before. And, you know, everybody with a smartphone, anybody who has one, who's around someone who's speaking, has the opportunity to become that whistleblower, right? Um, to, to record them. And, you know, if, if you're, if you're generous, you, you give them, you, you can give the context of what was actually said. And someone can, can pick it apart and say, well, was it really, was it really, uh, inconsistent with what you generally say? Or was it maybe a little bit off? Was it, was it um, diametrically opposed to it, right? Um, you know, the, the, the good case, and I'm sure we were going to talk about, it, would be uh, Pelosi uh, going and having her hair done during, during COVID and not wearing a mask and doing it in a, a beauty salon, which, but if I remember the facts correctly, and, and please keep me honest here, I think they had they'd mostly shut down beauty salons, um, preventing them from operating. And, well, how was she caught? Right. She was caught by a CCTV uh, video and, and someone releasing that video. So it, was, it wasn't, again, it wasn't gated narrative, right? It was someone being out there and being the, the self-reporter. You got in an unscripted moment. And uh, so it's, 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 it is a lot easier to, be, uh, to, to see elements of hypocrisy. So in, in some cases, and this is where I'll push back on some of our frustration and anger, indignation, we need to be honest with ourselves, knowing that we're, we can all be hypocrites on any given day uh, in how we we operate and we say our principles are X and, our, and when you actually look at actions, they're Y. And that's why people always say, don't don't listen to people's words, look, look at their actions, right? Um, but it, it's easier to do that, especially, I mean, if we're recording everything that we do, we're going to see those inconsistencies, right? Um, so we have to we have to give some charity. The, the problem becomes we stop giving charity and we start uh, the moment we think people are acting in, bad, acting in bad faith. And I think the reason we're talking about politicians is that we don't feel like they're acting in good faith. And again, that comes back to trust. But you're, 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 you're not going to have forgiveness for people who are inconsistent uh, and, and they the increase that level of hypocrisy uh, because you you think that they are inherently lying to you, they are, um, and that's it, it becomes the uh, perhaps it's an illusion, right? Every, everything that they're doing just becomes in your mind a, a lie. 
But um, on the other hand, I, I think there, there is. It's, it's easier to see people's inconsistencies. It's recorded um, much more uh, readily. It's, it's uh, fed to us consistently, um, you know, uh, pretty much all the time. And so we, uh, we're going to see it. And, and I, I do think it's part of the, the, the loosening of the gated narrative. If you went back 40, 50 years ago, I mean, you know, the, the, the great one was Nixon, right? I think uh, Nixon said something to the effect of, you know, uh, when someone asked him about a promise he made during the election uh, cycle, he said, well, listen, that's just stuff you tell people to get into office. Once you're in office, it's totally different. And it was off the cuff. It was, it was sort of this, you know, I, I make promises. Of course I make promises. I'm not going to keep any of those. I'm going to do whatever I have to do. Um, you know, if you saw that, if you heard that every single day, and again, it's Nixon, but hear it from Kennedy, hear it from Johnson, hear it from uh, Reagan or Carter, you go, wow, okay, wow, are they... Are they as incon- are they as consistent, you know, as, as we we thought maybe they were? Uh, I don't know. What, what, I mean, it sounds like you you feel like there's there's a breakdown of that consistency. Do you think it's deliberate? Do you think it's just a, a, a function of the environment, a combination? Um, yeah, I definitely think there's a breakdown of the consistency, and I think it's yeah, I think it's a combination. Um, you know, like you said, it's easy to get caught in inconsistencies these days and the truth is is that we're, we're all inconsistent to some extent uh, you know just go back and read my tweets I'm sure someone could find kind of inconsistencies in tweets that I've made over the last few months or in blog posts and as this podcast runs on I'm sure people will be able to find things where you know on, on January 3rd you said this but on November 12th you said that you know how can you explain that difference and there's, there's a lot of nuance in the world. And so mm-hmm. sometimes, you know, that nuance comes to play and can kind of change our, our viewpoints. Uh, and this is where, you know, like recency bias can come in, right? So something, right. you know, something can come up that is kind of front and center in our mind today that makes us have one opinion and then that thing kind of fades away, which so our opinion may shift a little bit. Uh, but then when you remind us of that, that thing that faded away, then that kind of brings our opinion back. Uh, it's really hard to stay consistent in that way. Uh, to me, what, what we kind of have to look at here are what are the stakes? I mean, it's one thing mm-hmm. if, Mayor Michael Hancock claimed that he was the number one Denver Broncos fan and then got caught on camera at a Raiders game, you know, wearing a Raiders hat and cheering him on. I mean, that's, it's embarrassing, but I mean, and it, it doesn't really matter. Right. What we're talking about here is high stakes. It's Nancy right. Pelosi saying that, no, we need to shut down the salons and then going into a salon and getting her hair done. Um, right. And, and then on a larger scale, you know, she's at her age, I imagine she's in a high risk category and sure. she's one of the ones who have been beating the drum about how dangerous COVID is. And by her going there, she is signaling to the world that, well, getting my hair done is more important than my life. Um, and that, that's a big inconsistency. And to me, that's, that's really high stakes. I mean, if you really believe right. that COVID is as dangerous as it is, you're telling me that you're going to put yourself at risk to go get your hair done. It doesn't make sense. So, so I want to I want to attach onto something that you're, you're talking about. That uh, I was thinking about walking around today for our conversation. There, there's a when you're sitting on the opposite side, seeing these people um, who you believe to be hypocritical. It's easy to um, just assume bad faith. 
however, there, that's, uh, that may not be the right conclusion, right? So in the, in the example of, uh, and, and there's a series of, of biases that can, um, that can impact you, right? So in the case of Nancy Pelosi, as an example, she has a, she has a view on the conditions that are going to lead to someone getting COVID. And she's thinking to herself, well, I'm taking all the proper precautions uh, versus those who do not. So she's, she's elevated in her mind the her chances of being safe in this kind of condition. And then does that allow her to, to get to kind of take herself off the hook from from doing something that's inconsistent with the um, her messaging, right? And, 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 and in her mind, she's thinking, well, I'm communicating to all the people that um, – that aren't taking precautions. I am. Um, I'm taking all the precautions that I'm saying you need to do. Um, and and so I'm wondering if a lot of the hypocrisy. And the example you gave about the, the mayor going to um, on this plane, you know, is and, and we talked a little bit again uh, before the cut the the podcast about this illusion of safety, right? Do do these people create this illusion of safety in their mind? I, well, I'm I'm wearing a mask. I'm making sure that when I'm, I'm buying my, my ticket, I did it online. I'm not communicating with anybody at the airport. Um, I bought I bought nine seats so I could sit in the middle of them and make sure there's no one else around me. You know, what other activities that they're doing to kind of create this illusion in their mind? How, how from your perspective, do you think that plays into their rationale for their activity at all? I think some of it does. I've been thinking a lot about this and kind of what, you know, what, what, what makes these people, what, what makes these folks do this? I think I mentioned before, I don't think most people are inherently evil. Like, I don't think anyone is out there saying, I want to kill people. I want to destroy people. I think, uh, you know, even, even the, the staunchest war hawks in our government who are advocating war with everybody, to them, I think there's, there's still some, benevolent justification in their minds, uh, whether yeah. it's that we have to protect the U.S. from all of these uh, these threats and, and everyone is a threat, uh, to we have to, uh, you know, support our our, our, our country and, and do everything that we can to uh, ensure our survival, you know, spread democracy to all these countries around the world, whatever it is. So... But I think the where we start to have the complication comes in is when they get too too distorted, right? They start to believe too much in their own hype. They start to believe too much that they're superior and that they're the ones who they know what to do and they know that they can execute it, but they don't trust other people to do the same. So mm-hmm. it, it, it becomes a, a parent-child relationship. So what, what you end up with is, like in the case of the, the lady from L.A., it's, well, I took precautions, but I don't, I don't think that you're going to be responsible enough to take precautions, so therefore mm-hmm. we have to just take this away from everyone, and right. I'm going to suffer as much as you, you suffered. And this is, one, this, is, this is an area I think where probably... It, it really starts to, for me, kind of cross cross that line from rational to emotional, uh, because uh-huh. you know these people who consider themselves elites, 
a lot of them, I look at them and I'm thinking, there is absolutely nothing elite about you. You are no smarter than anyone else. You are no more well-informed than anyone else. So where do you get off thinking that you're better positioned to act in society than anyone else and that you're in a position to tell anyone else how to live? Um, uh-huh. And so, and that's what I see happening in a lot of these cases is it's not that I, you know, I, I want to lie to people. It's that, well, I'm going to, I'm going to tell everyone else what they have to do, but I'm responsible enough to do the right thing so I can bend the rules for myself. Right. And I think we, we run into a problem when the people who are making the rules are also the people who are subject to enforcing the rules and they always choose to not enforce the rules on themselves. This right. Is the, the, I mean, this just across a lot of the issues that we're seeing in the U.S. today is one of the problems. Uh, you know, everything mm-hmm. from, you know, police investigating other police for misconduct. Um, you know, how much can we really trust that the investigation is being done thoroughly? How much deference are they giving to themselves? To the mm-hmm. government investigating itself. Uh, you know, a lot of the investigations in our federal government, so each agency has a... a uh, an inspector general office, office of inspector general, OIG. And that is the agency within the agency that's responsible for investigating the agency. Well, obviously, right, there's going to be a lot of political pressure on the OIG and the FBI to, you know, find that the FBI did nothing wrong in, in whatever case, uh, which I think we saw a little bit in the Russia, uh, Russia conspiracy narrative. So, you're putting these people, right? You're putting them in a position where they can actually get away with this. So in mm-hmm. their minds, they right, they start to justify all this stuff. All this stuff starts to come together. So they, they start to justify their actions and say, well, this is okay. And right. then the, the other part of that is, I, I really love this term, useful idiot. <laughs> I just, I heard it for the first time a couple of years ago. And I really don't know how long it's been around, but I, I think there's really a lot to this. And like you mentioned earlier, right, we, we all have teams, this tribalism. And a lot of people, like like I said before, they're able to just kind of blow this off with a wave of the hand because they know that they're, the useful idiots in their tribe are going to rally around them and defend them and say, right. you know, well, this is a good person. They just made a mistake or something like that. And that's, that's one area uh, that we need to, right, you always need to consider that. So what do you think about that? Well, yeah, I mean, I guess to, to come back to this um, this idea of what are they, what's going through their minds as they, they do actions that are inconsistent with their words. Uh, you know, there, there's the, the idea that I, that I shared that maybe they've, uh, they have an inflated view of their safety precautions. Um, you know, you, you can have, you can, you can create these sort of illusions in your head. Like, um, you were saying, like, if, let's say you have access to more information, right? But the information just creates noise in your head and it's not actually giving you signal. And someone has access to less information, but they're able to, to, to arrive at the right conclusion. Well, you have this inflated view that, well, I know more than you because I have more, more data. Uh, that may not be true. I mean, just because you have more information doesn't actually mean that you have the, the right decision. Um, no. Now, obviously, the, the opposite can also be true. If you're extremely 
Um, if you need access to more information for whatever decision you're trying to make and you're, you've got a tenth of what you need, well, then obviously more information is going to increase your ability to understand uh, what you need to do. So I, I, I think that... Um, I think, I think that's right. I think people create these narratives in their head. They, they, there's another side of it, and we, I, we see it, and you and I, I know, have talked about just this idea that people, they read about heuristics and biases. They, they've read Kahneman's work. They've read Jonathan Haidt's work. And then they tell other people about it, but they don't apply it to themselves. They don't understand, you know, all these psycho, um, you know, everything that we've come to understand about people's psychology somehow it does not apply to them. Uh and so I guess it's almost a human trait at some, at some point uh, to be able to <laughs> walk away and say, well, for you, but not for me, right? If I'm a parent, it's completely justified, right? You're gonna, you're gonna, if you're raising children, you're going to have to tell them, you're, allowed, you're not allowed to do this, but I am, right? Uh, and there's, so there's justification. So there's, there's like built-in hypocrisy into our family units that is completely justified. Um, you know, uh, and... and then we reach certain levels in which it's just not. And, and probably to your point, it probably has to do when we're making decisions about other people's lives that are high stake, that um, impact their ability to, to be able to provide for themselves and care for themselves. That's when the hypocrisy hits that tipping point where you go, no, this is, this is too much. Um, and, you know, I do, I do struggle personally when I see these levels of hypocrisy uh, from the people, from elected leaders. You know, you see the, you see the person that reaches um, a certain level of, of a company who starts a, starts a small business and then grows it into a billion dollar enterprise, and you know, they they feel the need. They they do something that's hypocritical. There's something about well, there's there's something that they've achieved. I, I'm not sure I would agree with it, but there's there's I have some sympathy or empathy for that. And maybe I dismiss it more easily than, than the politicians who are uh, for better or worse charged with, with our care in the sense that they, they get to set rules. They get to uh, enforce them through, through um, you know, the police and, and other types of law enforcement. And when they, when they take actions that in this case, I mean, it just, I'll, I'll be honest in March or May, or maybe it's even, maybe it's even later than that, but, I was I was reading about all these businesses that were saying, "Listen, we're we're out of money. We don't have any money. Um, we we need to reopen." And you had governors telling them, "Oh, you you can't do this. We're gonna we're gonna spread the virus." They 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 didn't seem to care at all that these people were gonna lose their business, that their livelihood was was going away, um, that these people simply wanted the opportunity to get back to um, making a living for themselves, and. Um, and going back to, to good faith, bad faith, a lot of these politicians have never tried to run a business. They've been in bureaucratic roles. Uh, so they're very good at mastering those systems. But they, they are, they're not good. They're, maybe, maybe they're good at taking political risks, although I would argue in today's environment very few of them do. And so we, they don't understand the risk that a, uh, a business owner takes when they're trying to start uh, something as simple as a, as a donut shop. Uh, it sounds so easy. We'll just, you know, get, get the battery. Well, how about trying to convince that first customer to take a bite? How about trying to convince a bank to, to loan you money? How about having to, to hire employees or to get your family members to come out and help? How about that, that fourth week when, you know, you, you've sold out and all of a sudden your customer sales went down to zero and you have no idea what, what's going to happen? 
I mean, th that's that's what people go through, and that's what people are asking for. I mean, the latest example is that woman. There was a video going around on, on Twitter of a woman um, saying, "Listen, I created this outdoor dining. LA shut me down, and right next to me is a is a movie company that's setting up their outdoor dining, and the only it, literally, I mean, feet away, feet away, same tents, same everything. They're allowed to operate. I'm not." And you look at that and think, well, this is special privileges given by, you know, the state of California or, or L.A., the, the, the mayor's office, to certain businesses. They're, they're, so, you know, it, 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 again, it feeds into this narrative. I don't trust these people. I don't, I don't trust that they're actually doing what's right because when, every time I see an exception, it just shows me that they, they are acting in bad faith. So, yeah, I... I struggle with this. I really do. I mean, I try and be charitable, but it's hard to be. It really is. Right. And I think one of the, you know, like we mentioned, right, it, this, this is pretty high stakes here. You know, it's yeah. not, you know, getting caught, like I said, you know, claiming that you're a Broncos fan and then, you know, <laughs> secretly jetting off to watch a Raiders game. You know, this is people's lives and livelihood. And I think – yeah. You know, so far, some of the examples of the hypocrisy we've given have been, I mean, we've been kind of poking a little bit of fun at them because they've been just such blatant, blatant hypocrisy you, to the point where you'd almost say, how can people be doing this? But on a more serious level, I mean, there's a level of hypocrisy here that, that runs deeper. You know, they say that they, they're doing all this to protect the population, but then the policies that they're putting into effect are actually harming the population. And Right. Um, there's a if, for anyone out there who who is familiar with Tom Woods, you know he's put out several videos um, where he's been talking about COVID and he's been kind of a lot of what we hear about COVID. You know, people are zeroing in on specific things. You know, um, you would, Paul, you alluded to the ICU bed usage earlier. Um, it is a problem, and then you know, some people will say cases, some people will say deaths. You know, so what Tom Woods did is he he kind of tried to take a step back and try to look at the entire picture and he has done a really good job i think of pointing out kind of a lot of inconsistencies in the story when you look at it from a high level um so and so i guess the point i'm trying to make here is there there's just kind of a there's just sort of a whole element of hypocrisy sort of running through the whole thing um so I'm kind of losing my train of thought here, but you know, when the, when the politicians say that like, we're, we're doing all this to help people, so you have to do A, B, and C. Okay. So there's hypocrisy on one level. You have to do A, B, and C, but we're not going to do A, B, and C, right? That's, that's one right. level, but there's a, a grander hypocrisy here is we're doing this to help people, even though our evidence in a lot of ways is kind of flimsy and a lot of our policies, you know, they seem kind of absurd and hypocritical, uh, but there's a larger hypocrisy that we do have evidence that we are really harming people with our our response to this, mm -hmm. but we're going to just ignore that. We're going to pretend like it's not true right. or it's not happening. Uh, and so, so let me go back to Tom Woods right now. One of the things that he points out is all of the excess deaths that are being caused by the lockdowns. Um, I think one that he cited was from the New York Times where it was like 1.5 million excess tuberculosis, 
tuberculosis deaths. So that's excess is 1.5 million more deaths from tuberculosis than we would expect to have because people aren't going and getting the treatment that they need. Okay. Right. Well, so the imperial model that a lot of this is based off of was estimating, I think, like 2.2 million deaths in the U.S. from COVID. Well, right there, just the excess deaths from just tuberculosis brings us almost up, if you believe that 2.2 million, almost up to the same level as COVID. And then when you right. add in the excess deaths from suicide and deaths from despair and, um, and deaths from, excess deaths from cancer and other diseases, right? I think we pretty easily hit and exceed that 2.2 million mark. Um, yeah. And then there's the longer term effects, you know, so when you put these people out of business, right, you're, you're destroying, you know, decades maybe of their lives. They've spent yeah. 20, 30 years building up this restaurant and you're just putting them out of business. Um, so there, there's going to be a huge long-term effect there because and they put more strain be, on your, what's that? I was going to say you're putting more strain on your social systems, your social network, your social nets, um, safety nets, exactly. if you will, that, and we know that in the U.S., for better or worse, and it really is debatable, uh, the safety nets are not that strong. But even if they are strong in places like Europe, uh, where they're stronger uh, relative to the United States, there's still a lot of strain that's put on those those nets. And to your point, what you're seeing is you're seeing a buildup in, in, in businesses that can capitalize on the movement to the Internet and, and delivery. I mean, UPS is going to be doing great. FedEx is doing great. Um, Amazon's doing amazing. They're going to be hiring half a million people over the next year. Th- those are the wrong signals. Those are the wrong things that we as a, as a society should, should want to see to some degree because um, of a lack of diversification. Um, but it's just a sign that these businesses are going to be going under. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I, th- th- this is a whole... This is another side of what we talked about, you know, a couple episodes we talked about sort of these grand narratives and what you hear about them, right? And, you know, hypocrisy ends up being one that they seem to try and wave over in terms of what you have to do and what I have to do. Um, and But the other side of it is getting to information. And this is, this is a, a big concern uh, that uh, we should all have about how this information is being shared, Um and, and giving access to it. I mean, you kind of think about solutions for hypocrisy, right? And maybe that's something we should talk about now is sort of, you know, how, how, do, how do you as a citizen react? What, what are your options? How should you be thinking about this? Um, are you, you good to kind of dive into that a little bit? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, um, I mean, for me, the first thing is try to do, I know it's hard, but try to abandon the tribal mindset if you can. Don't look at, you know, it's great if you don't like Trump, but try not to look at everything as a, uh, I have to adopt position X because it makes Trump look bad. I mean, try to look at this stuff from, uh, I guess, a more human perspective. Um, So, you know, it's great that you have an office job and you're able to work remotely and that you're not being hit with the fallout from the lockdowns quite as hard as other people and that you can still order your stuff off of Amazon and go to Walmart. But, you know, remember that there, there are a lot of people who are being hit hard by this. There's a lot of small business owners who, you know, they're going to see their livelihoods just taken away from them because 
they can't open up. They're not even being given the choice. They're not even being uh-huh. told, like, listen, you can choose to lock down or stay open. And we're not seeing – the government keeps talking about wanting to help people, but I'm not seeing the government step in and offer these small businesses money to help them get reopened um, after the lockdowns are over or anything like that. Um, in the yeah. meantime, right, we're, we're happily shifting business to these huge multinationals who, like, like Paul said, right, have, have the infrastructure to kind of weather the storm, kind of shift their business models um, to, mm-hmm. you know, more of a virtual presence, or they already had a more virtual presence. Well, and they're already advantaged, right, because they have access to, to liquidity markets um, to, to raise capital in a way that small business never has access to. Um, so they're able to weather storms like this in a much different way. And, and let's also face it, during the, during the first bailout, uh, that happened earlier this year, um, aid package, if you will. Most of that money all went to, to corporations and it went to financial markets. It didn't go to small business. I mean, I, the example I would give, I mean, uh, I, I know a, um, a, uh, a man who, who consults with small businesses in, um, uh, you know, he, he does, he does their accounting and finance and, you know, during that first uh, tranche of loans that were going out, where so banks were supposed to be giving out loans out of this first relief package, well, I mean, they were looking for businesses that were, you know, ten million up or so, very, very large, maybe five million and up, because it would just it, it took them less time to do the risk assessment on their books. They have more capabilities. The small person, the person that's making half a million a year, maybe a million a year. Um, they, they don't have the same sort of infrastructure. And so they were put on the, the, the bottom, the bottom rung. Uh, and so they're just not getting the, the liquidity. Now you could argue, well, we shouldn't have any bailout systems, right? We should have no bailout systems because that's just encouraging bad businesses to thrive. That, that is an argument. I, I'm not sure I would agree with that, but you could make that argument. But if you're, if you're not going to do that, if you're going to tell businesses you can't operate and then you're going to provide uh, money so that they can continue to operate, and then you give the money to the organizations that already have access to other markets, right? And then you're going to prevent the little person from not doing it. There's again, talk about hypocrisy. Talk, talking about just lip service to, to people and and um, that have you know created these businesses that are just trying to survive. I get very very frustrated. I guess I'm not providing much of a solution as much as just airing some grievances here. No, I, I mean, I think you hit on it, right? We hear a lot of people, they talk about wanting to save the middle class, and then they turn around and <laughs> take the middle class's businesses away from them without someone right. a second thought. Um, something you, you mentioned that I was thinking about. Um, well, I mean, go ahead with your thought. I kind of want to take a test step back. Well, reform yeah, no, you hit on a really really important point um, that don't don't let your tribe define where you see hypocrisy and don't allow it to blind you to hypocrisy across the way I mean right now we're, we're, we're kind of attacking um, politicians they may all be of a, of a certain political party but you know I'll, I'll, I'll just point out a couple of areas where you know politicians that are of the other party the red party uh, they, they uh, I think earlier this year they were accused of receiving information about the impending COVID disaster and sold stock. Uh, maybe both parties did that, right? Uh, 
you and then and at the same time we're telling everyone this isn't a big deal we don't have to worry about it we don't need to make any preparations so their, their political calculus was that this is well you know me selling stock isn't really going to impact my bottom line uh, I mean it, it's going to impact me financially but from a political perspective I'm not going to have to pay a high price uh, and so they they just sort of went ahead and did it you, you, you have hypocrisy across the board it really is it's a it's a difference between elites and non-elites and, and it's elected elites versus not elites. The, the elites are, you know, however you become elite status, you're, you're going to be saying things and doing things and we're, you're going to see the hypocrisy. Um, but allow yourself to see it across a spectrum about people saying X and doing Y. Um, and then I think a second below that, you should be asking yourself why you're upset, right? Is it something where you're just upset because it generally pisses you off, it goes against your principles and your ideals? Or is it something that actually has high stakes, right? At some point, we're going to have to make a stand. Uh, and that's what people on these videos have been calling out, uh, these, these small businesses. Uh, there was one, I think, in Toronto where a man was arrested for trying to open his barbecue joint. People are saying, we have to make a stand, otherwise this will never end. And uh, people, I think I mentioned LA, the, the Restaurant Association, I think, is suing the city to say you have to prove that we are actually increasing you can't just use ICU beds. That's a different issue. You're going to have to prove that the, the restaurants are actually dangerous. So I, I think that's a good sign. But, but you should just ask yourself, you, you, you could be angry all day. Do you really want to be angry all day with, with items that are really outside your control, with stakes that don't have the biggest impact? Not that you shouldn't be able to relate to people. Uh, and You need to, so it's a balance. I don't have the perfect way of balancing that seesaw to say, you know, here, here's the three questions you answer and... and boom, everything is, is answered and clear. It doesn't work like that. Um, but it's, it, it is a, a question of, of at least going through the process and asking yourself, re removing yourself from your, your tribe, seeing it where it exists, asking yourself, are the stakes high enough to, to matter? And are they high enough for, for enough people? Not just me, uh, not just my tribe, but enough people. That's kind of my, my general thoughts there. Scott, what, what about you in terms of reacting to hypocrisy, thinking about how to deal with it when you see it? Yeah, I, it, it's easy to say, you know, don't don't worry about things that are outside of your control. Uh, I say that a lot. I mean, it's one of the things I kind of live by. But it, it's harder to actually do it when that thing that's outside of your control is impacting you so much. Uh, yeah. So one thing you can do is, you know, I think it's important to be able to vent. You know, I mean, I think you should be able to get, get upset and angry. And if there is something that you can do, some action that you can take, and you think that action would be beneficial, I mean, go ahead and do it. Um, the other thing you can do is kind of start taking this as a, not that I necessarily think you should surrender, but, you know, times are changing. And so this might be an opportunity for you to kind of start looking towards the future, not kind of start to start looking towards the future and start asking yourself, what, what, what's, what does the future hold? What do I need to do now to start preparing myself for that future? And it, yeah, it may be terrible that your restaurant can't open up and that you're in danger of losing it, but take the opportunity now to start asking yourself, well, what, you know, I mean, what, what are restaurants going to look like in the future? What, what, what can I start doing now? Do I need to try to figure out a way to move to more of an online presence? Um, which I don't know exactly what that would look like for restaurants. Um, 
But, you know, maybe it'd be something more like people can kind of custom order food from your website, you prepare it and ship it to them or something, uh, you know, along those lines. Um, but th- there are things yep. that you can start doing. Uh, don't, don't just sit back, think you're going to weather the storm and that things are going to go back to normal. One, one example that I'm really thinking of right now is truck drivers. So there's a lot of talk now about, you know, in the next 20, 30 years, we're going to have self-driving trucks. And that's going to basically put a lot of truck drivers out of work. Well, don't, don't sit around and wait for it to happen and then, and then become a victim and just sit there and wring your hands. And like, who is saying, you're like, well, who could have seen this coming, right? Start, start planning for the future now, right? Start retrenching yourself and getting built up for that. So in some ways, you know, maybe this is kind of a wake up call uh, that it's time to start thinking differently. And I know that's hard, right? I know it it really stinks to have your livelihood, something that you've spent years building, you know, yanked out from underneath you. Um, But that's, that's life. I mean, we, we can't, you just assume risks every day when you wake up and get out of bed. You know, we can't take all the adversity out of life. So start doing that, you know, maybe start trying to find communities of like-minded people online, you know, where you guys can, you know, kind of share thoughts. Uh, if, you know, we keep using restaurants as an example, so go find other restaurant owners in your area or in, even in other cities, right? And start talking about, hey, like, what can we do to uh, to kind of come out of this ahead? What can we do to make sure that if this happens again in the future, we're, we're going to be prepared for it? Yeah, and I... Uh, you know, so, so a thought that came to mind is th- this may be a point where you're you also are going to start questioning um, your your principles and ideals because I know a lot of people. Uh, you know, a lot of a lot of the, the shutdowns are, are very severe right now as we're recording this in, in places like Los Angeles and California, um, where I think there is more. Uh, I would say acceptance of, of government. I mean, places that are going to be um, more uh, expecting the government to play a larger role. And this is, uh, this is part of, this is an extension of that, right? So you, we're seeing, we're stress testing our environments to see how certain political factions and political groups are reacting to how to contain a, a virus that is beyond everyone's control. And, you know, at the end of this, we should be asking ourselves, what are we learning from it? I think one of the things we're going to see is is sort of how certain jurisdictions tried to balance um, business and prosperity versus um, uh, trying to eliminate or really hamper down on the virus, the spread of the virus. But But this is not the last time that something like this is going to happen. And there's going to be more and more calls next time. You can already you can already imagine, you know, five years from now, when the virus has fully receded, but something new happens where there's there's calls, and now there's going to be a playbook in place where people are going to be looking in and saying, well, how should we actually react to this type of trauma? And don't for a second think that there uh, we should be learning and we should be asking ourselves what we're learning, but. Unless, unless our political institutions change and the, and the incentives change, they could have a very similar reaction to it. Um, so ask yourself, are you, do you want to be part of that when it happens? I mean, very simply, do you want to be living in New York or California if this happens again? Period. 
do you want to be living in a place like China if it happens again? And maybe you do. Maybe you say, listen, I'd rather be in China. I mean, I think Bill Gates and some other people have said that I'd rather be in China when, uh, when this happens. Of course, they're elites. They're going to be treated different than, than the common person. Uh, you know, for what I, I've heard some stories of people literally being welded shut into their homes for two weeks. Um, are you comfortable with that? Is that, is that what's important to you? Um, you know, I, I realize that's a little bit far cry from hypocrisy, but the hypocrisy is not going to go down. Um, your ability to react to it is, is, is hopefully is what's going to change. And, and also, um, you know, I think, Scott, what you're saying is be biased towards change and, and the ex- expectation that things are going to have to change. Uh, that, that is going to, I think, be a common theme going forward. As, as we see, again, we stress test the environment. We see how different jurisdictions are reacting uh, to, to the stress. And what we're, what we're seeing is sort of the ones that move fast, the ones that move slow, the ones that uh, what values they put on, on the environment and, and, you know, safety versus, uh, you know, safety and health versus safety and livelihood. And, and that's, that's just not going to change. So people are going to need to be asking themselves, what are they most comfortable with? Yeah. I, I, yeah. I guess the point I'm trying to get at is a, put yourself in a position to where the hypocrisy doesn't impact you a whole lot. Right. Um, to where it's just kind of something you can laugh at and then you can, you go on with your life. Um, so, you know, if the, the mayor of your town, if you're in LA and you know, you've seen all that hypocrisy, right. Put yourself in a position so you can just leave LA, get the heck out. Yeah. You know, so their hypocrisy doesn't, doesn't impact you. Uh, yeah. And for everything that's going on in the world. And I, you know, I'm actually hugely optimistic. I think this is the greatest time to be alive. I mean, the internet and technology gives us so many opportunities that it's incredible. Um, and one of the downsides is that we we're constantly being bombarded with news of everything that's horrible. Right. The, the upside is, is that, you know, at our fingertips is everything that's good too. Um, you know, so take advantage of that. Put yourself in a position where you don't have to be dependent on these elected officials, and you can kind of uh, insulate yourself as much as possible from what they do. And if the f- officials in the area that, where you're living do something you don't like, you know, put yourself in a position where you can just pack up and leave. Uh, we're seeing that a lot now. Uh, you know, with New York, New Jersey, Illinois, and California, I think I saw have the they're losing population faster than any other states in the, in the country or something. And I think that's mm. because a lot of the wealthy people who are, are in a position to where they can move or are kind of getting tired of the uh, increasing government control in these areas. And they're, they're voting with their feet. They're packing up and leaving. I know, yeah. you know, recently Joe Rogan, right. Just made a pretty high profile move out of LA to, mm-hmm. to Austin. Uh, and I, I heard, something a while back, um, some hedge fund, I think who was in LA just got tired or not in LA in uh, New Jersey, got tired of all the, the state taxes. And he, uh, the owner, the, the guy who ran the hedge fund just packed up and moved down to Florida where there's no state income tax. <laughs> and like, yeah. and there was so much revenue loss. Like it was noticeable in the New Jersey budget. Like, <laughs> like right. you, you could tell the difference, right. When this, when this guy packed up his operation and left, um, 
right? So put yourself in a position where you can be that person who just says, I'm not right. dealing with this anymore. I'm packing up and leaving. Yeah. Well, I, I think that's a great message. And I, I know we're about at an hour and, and we've, we've kind of gone all over the rails, but it, you know, if, if the message is, listen, hypocrisy is frustrating, but it should, it could be a, a propellant for you to start, you know, creating that, that individual life away. So you, you have the, the freedom not to be impacted. That is, is certainly a silver lining. So I think that's a, that's a positive message uh, that we should, uh, we can end on uh, Scott, unless there's something else you want to chat about. No, I'm good. I'm just, uh, like I said at the beginning, man, I'm just, uh, in some ways, I'm just really kind of enjoying the, uh, this show that is 2020, and I'm looking forward to what 2021 has to bring. Oh, absolutely. Well, it's, it's, it's going to bring, uh, I don't know, dragons from Mordor, or, you know, we're going to have orcs from Middle Earth if it's, uh, 2020 is in the indication. Yeah, well, you know, there are people who say that Hillary is a lizard person who is, uh, working on taking over the, planet so maybe well yes uh we'll we'll have to we'll have to dive into the lizard people at some point that has been one of the more entertaining theories i've ever read Uh, (laughs) well well let us know in the comments uh what you think about hypocrisy what do you uh, you know what do you think the cost of it is um is it something that uh you know is overblown uh because you know everyone's uh, a hypocrite or if uh, we should be holding our, our public officials to, uh, to to account, and and um, and then also making ourselves more free, so we don't have to worry about it. So we'd lo- we'd love to hear from you. But uh, until then, uh, take care and be safe. We'll we'll chat soon.